Well, hi, this is Phil Miliorati with Pray for Surf, and I'm talking today with Mark Dillon, the author of a great book called 50 Sides of the Beach Boys. It's been out for a while, but uh, it's never too late to dig in and find out some things about the book that uh, you just can't get from reading it. And if you haven't read it, uh, you need to get a hold of it. And I think this podcast will prove that to you. Mark Dillon, thank you for being out of line today. Oh, thanks very much for your interest, Phil. Well, we uh, kind of, uh, we really don't know each other. And just uh, actually probably a couple days ago, I saw you make a comment on a Facebook page that is devoted to the Beach Boys. And I forget the exact line of the conversation. Someone complimented you on the, your book or something, and, and, and suddenly I just thought, oh, I think you, you, you shared about a backstory or something. I think and people I thought, uh, were curious as to how I structured the book, how I decided which songs yeah. to include, because that's the way the book is, is structured, that uh, each chapter is one song, and there's 50 chapters, which was to commemorate the 50th anniversary of the group. Well, and, fr- and as soon as I saw that little thread, I mean, there's just a couple sentences. Actually, I think I asked you something, and you responded. Anyway, long story short, it just occurred to me uh, it'd be a whole lot of fun to spend more than a couple minutes typing out a couple sentences. Uh, love to hear more from you. And so that's uh, why we're here, and that's what we're up to. So um, thank you. Excellent. Thank uh, you. I did, did a little, you're welcome. Did a little hop, skip, and jump but back again through the book. Got it when it first came out and uh, loved it. Uh, still do. But um, you put a little story in there in the beginning that, that I appreciated reading about how you first came to know about the Beach Boys, fall in love with them, whatever phrase we use, loving their music. And I think uh, while we'll hear about your writing and all the other things that made this book come to be, I think uh, Beach Boy fans like to know that they're reading from another Beach Boy fan. So how did that happen for you? Well, uh, it happened when I was very young, and I guess uh, like many of us, you know, I had uh, cousins that I looked up to and were very influential on me, and in this case, um, my 15-year-old cousin Tracy was a big Beach Boys fan, and uh, I'd be over at their house a lot, and I can still remember, you know, they had uh, an eight-track tape player and uh, big, big headphones for my small head, <laughs> and uh, I, was, I was seven at the time, actually, and... Uh, you know, she put those headphones on me, and she played uh, Best of the Beach Boys Volume 2, uh, which was, you know, an old 1960s uh, compilation. Sure. But, I mean, it had some of their best songs, Don't Worry Baby, California Girls, Help Me Rhonda, I Get Around. And, you know, once I heard those songs, uh, I fell in love, and, you know, I just kept playing them on an endless loop, really. And uh, it all sort of sprung from uh, from that day. Very cool. Now. Obviously, you already said 50 Sides of the Beach Boys coinciding with their 50 years. But take us back to when did that idea first pop into your mind or how did it come to you? Uh, how much before the 50-year anniversary did you really begin work on this? Uh, what's the genesis of the book? I would probably had dreamed of doing a Beach Boys book for about 20 years before it actually came to be. I, I always wanted to do it and... You know, I, I thought of different ways, what would be the, the best approach. At one point, I started writing uh, almost what you call literary fiction about Dennis Wilson, because he, uh, he always fascinated me. There was a very fascinating story to his life, and I thought his music was, uh, was great and, and very unheralded 
So he, for a while, he was my focus. And, you know, I started writing a bit about that, like what if it was a movie script, that kind of idea. But I never really followed through and finished that. So fast forward many years, um, you know, I, I'd done a little bit of journalistic writing on the Beach Boys. And again, it comes back uh, to Dennis Wilson in 2008 uh, when they re-released his album uh, Pacific Ocean Blue. I did a, a big feature on Dennis and that album for the Globe and Mail, which is uh, one of Canada's national newspapers. And uh, it, it was very interesting for me to get into that world firsthand, to talk to people like David Leaf, who had written uh, The Beach Boys and the California Myth, and Greg Jacobson, who was uh, a big uh, friend of Dennis's. Um, so I made some inroads with, with people like that and uh, took great pleasure in, in, in writing that article. And soon after that, it occurred to me that the 50th anniversary was uh, was coming up. And uh, appropriately enough, I was on a beach. I mean, it wasn't uh, it wasn't a Manhattan beach or anything like that. But the Beach Boys sang about with big waves and surfers. It was uh, on Lake Huron here in Ontario. But I was on the beach, and uh, it just kind of a light bulb went up. And I'm like, wait a sec, the 50th yeah. anniversary is is coming up. If there's ever a time for me to finally write that Beach Boys book that. Uh, you know, that I've dreamed yeah. about now is the time. And, you know, I had to try and find uh, an approach that hadn't been done before, like the straight biography had been done before. Um, and I always was quite fond of, of what I would call episodic books, books where every chapter was, was something unique. Uh, I remember reading one called Cult Movies, and every chapter was a different movie that had a cult following. Um, so I wanted to structure it like that. And I think you know the the point i wanted to make most of all was how influential the group's music is today like i mean i read a lot of the rock press and and you keep hearing it again and again whether we're talking about the biggest mainstream artists like katy perry and bruno mars or you know indie acts as well like apples and stereo or yola tengo they all cite the beach boys as as a major Influence, and I, I thought that was the message I wanted to get out to people that might not realize that how how much this music has lasted. So I, I figured, why don't I have each chapter having another artist talk about a Beach Boys song that they love? And then it occurred to me while going through this process that uh, you know if you're gonna talk about the history of these songs and the creation of these songs, then why not also bring in the very people who uh, who created them? who wrote them. So, you know, I, I uh, pursued the Beach Boys themselves, and, uh, you know, they don't know who I am. I mean, I'm not, I'm not known as a music journalist. I'm, I'm known in Canada as a film and TV journalist and a little bit in Hollywood as well, but I'm not known as, as a music journalist. So it was a bit of a shot in the dark, but, you know, I got in touch with uh, the Beach Boys manager, Elliot Lott, told him what I was up to, and, uh, you know, he just was kind enough to forward my request on to Al Jardine and, and Bruce Johnston and Mike Love. Um, and one day out of the blue, Bruce Johnston sent me an email saying, hey, I think your book's a great idea. Give me a call. I mean, that was fantastic. I mean, that was one of the key things that, that really got this project going. And, and I had dealt um, with, uh, with Brian Wilson and his manager as well, and they were very uh, helpful. Um, I got to go backstage at a Brian show in Milwaukee in 2008. That was really the first bit of work I did on this book. Um, 
And, I, you know, I didn't ask for Brian right away. I mean, I knew that was a big ask, and, and they didn't know a whole lot about me. So I, I was going to start a little bit a little bit lower. And uh, a couple of people that I wanted to include, well, especially Darian Sahanaja in his band, because, um, of course, he was very instrumental in helping Brian revive the Mythical Smile album. So I wanted right. to talk to him. And so, uh, you know, I got to go backstage and uh, and have a great interview with Darian. And quick uh, sidebar, quick sidebar. I may have been at that same concert in Milwaukee backstage, so we may have. Oh my, at the Pappy mm-hmm. Theater. We, yeah, we may have ignored each other and not known it. So I'm <laughs> glad we're finally meeting. <laughs> That's funny. That's funny. Yeah. So that that was a big night, and uh, Jeffrey Foskett was kind enough to uh, introduce me to Brian. I wasn't I wasn't going to try and ambush Brian at all. That wasn't right, my plan. Right. But uh, Jeffrey Foskett uh, walked me over and, and introduced me to Brian, and you know I told uh, Brian what I was up to, and uh, you know I, I asked him at the time like if there was one song that you would want to talk about. California Girls. He blurted it out before I could even uh, <laughs> finish the sentence. Um, he didn't end up talking about that for the book. Um, in fact, he couldn't really talk to me for the book because uh, he had his own memoir in the works at that point. I think he had signed yeah. an agreement with a publisher that he could only, you know, any information for a book would only go into his book. However, um, when he released the album, uh, the Gershwin album that he did, uh, I pitched that to a, a national magazine here in Canada called McLean's, and they loved it. They wanted this uh, profile of Brian Wilson. So uh, I got Brian. I did a couple of interviews with him, and uh, and then I used nice. some of that material for the book. So, you know, I got six of the of the people on this planet who are still with us who, who could call themselves official Beach Boys, and for that uh, I'm very grateful. Yeah, that's, that's really remarkable. Um, and it's... Everybody else that you have in there, we won't go through all of them, but uh, maybe we'll come to them by this question. Uh, I'm interested in the process. Uh, I think if someone looks at the cover, uh, the title, they might think uh, that the name of the person who's associated with each song explains the song. Maybe it's even a musical book, but it's really not that. It, it's it's a combination. I don't know. You may not agree with the way I'm like, characterizing it. And of course, you'll say that, but a combination of your research, because you really unpack, the depending on what the song is, the context of the times or the context of what Brian's going through or whatever, uh, but you weave in the comments that that person has given you precisely about that song for this chapter. I mean, it's very, very uniquely done, and I think well done. I mean, am I characterizing this anywhere near accurately? Well, thank you. Yes. Um, you know, it was it was a bit of a struggle to find exactly how this would work. Like, how do you do 50 unique chapters with 50 unique subjects and yet sort of keep a flow to it, keep a consistency to it? I mean, originally, every chapter had its own different approach based on the material. So it, it sort of read, the you know, my first few chapters, my first go at it, sort of read like separate magazine articles. There was a publisher on board early on, a British publisher, and they suggested, well, why don't you at the beginning of each chapter contextualize the song? So in other words, there is this like chronology of history that goes through the beginning yeah. of each chapter, and then we bring in the voice, whether you know it's, it's one of the Beach Boys themselves talking about the creation of the song or somebody who, who just loves the song or, or is influenced by it. So um, 
the deal with that publisher actually fell through, and a wonderful local publisher here, ECW Press, happily picked it up. But at least I'm grateful to that initial publisher for uh, coming up with that idea because it was very helpful. Yeah. Well, and you know, I haven't reread every one of them, uh, but so much of the, and, and rightly so, so many articles, even books, as they take you through the history, they'll say, okay, this is how Fun, Fun, Fun was written, and that's what you get about Fun, 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 you know, and who was right? Is it, uh, I don't know, in Salt Lake City or, you know, there's a little battle as to who wrote it, when, where, that kind right. of thing. Uh, but I think what you do is, is uh, um, I want to say much more than that. And, and uh, or that's probably not the best way to say it. I think what, what I'm feeling is we already know some of that stuff. And you, you, you repeat some of it, but, but you take us beyond that. Um, it's not just, you know, I was sitting at a lunch table and I wrote the words on a napkin kind of stuff. You're really <laughs> giving context of depending, again, it, whether it depends on the, the culture at the time or uh, the, the, the life the, uh, episode of, of the Beach Boys at the time. Um, so it really is like each, each song is, is uh, each chapter is not just a different song, but it's 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 a different story. I mean, is that again? I'm asking, is that how you would see it? Is there a better way to explain that? Yeah, I mean, you know, you know, as, as I mentioned, some of the chapters are told from the perspective of somebody who might have written the song or, or produced it or played on it or something like that. But then you have people like Daniel Lanois talking about I Get Around. I mean, he had nothing to do with that song. He was just a, right. a 12-year-old kid when that came out. But, you know, he he wanted to talk about that song. I got him on the phone. I didn't know what he where he wanted to go with the conversation. He agreed to do it. And uh, right away, he's like, I want to talk about I Get Around. And for him, it, it brings him back to a time, and he thinks that that song encapsulates the whole early 60s California experience. Like, like it's right there in that song. Like he doesn't get into, I mean, he's, he's one of the great producers of our time, but he doesn't get into any of the production tricks. I mean, I tried to coax that out of him. Like, has, has Brian <laughs> yeah. Wilson's production influenced you? He's like, no, not really. But, you know, he, he wanted to talk about how this song, to him, says it all. And, and he wanted to also talk about how, you know, the, the fact that they played Fender guitars was influential on other people that came later, like Jimi Hendrix and, 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 and yeah. other artists that, that mean a lot to him. So so he talked about influence, and he talked about how these songs are, are very representative of uh, of a certain time and a certain place. And, and by the way, this is what I found very interesting, because I didn't know this going into the interview. Um, he, he just made a throwaway comment towards the end of the interview that, you know, he, that Brian had given him a call recently, and and uh, I asked Hello. him what, what that was all about, and yeah. uh, he started getting a bit coy. And I said, "Well, did did Brian reach out to want to collaborate with you?" And there was a like a dead silence on the other end. Right. And he's like, "Yes." You know, I guess he didn't <laughs> really want to go into it, but yeah. you know, he he'd sort of opened the door. So I found that very interesting. Could you imagine Brian uh, Wilson and, and Daniel Lanois collaborating? Unfortunately for us, it has not uh, come to pass. But uh, that would be fascinating. Uh, wow. You said something a moment ago about uh, him, him talking about their, their use of guitars influencing uh, other rock musicians, even in that era, and even a rock musician who is nothing like them. So it's not like the four freshmen kind of, it's not in the same genre, I guess is what I'm trying to say. And maybe this is a sidebar, and you don't have to agree with me. I mean, I love the Beatles, the, and everybody, that's the, like the number one group. They certainly have sold, sold like crazy. 
I have this sense, and I know I'm prejudiced because I'm a super Beach Boy fan, and I, you know, met them and those band members and stuff like that. So, so I feel a little bit closer to it than just buying their records like I come down with the Beatles. All that to say, it's, I really think in, in the, the long, long history, they're going to have more influence, Brian maybe especially, but their music I think will, it won't outlast the Beatles. I, I think they'll both always be there, but I, I, I just, you know, I, I, they're not this little surfing group that, that Capitol had and kind of cast aside for the Beatles. I, I, you don't have to agree with me, but you know what I'm saying? Agree, disagree, whatever you think. Well, I mean, we all know that the, the Beach Boys influenced the Beatles. Um, I mean, we know the Beatles influenced the Beach Boys as well. There was this whole kind of back and forth going on. I mean, Brian, you know, told me that he was very jealous when he heard the Beatles because he felt like they were eclipsing everybody. And we all know that Rubber Soul was uh, was hugely influential and spurred him on to to pet yeah. sounds and, 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 and later smile. But um, I, I, one of the things that surprised me in, in the process of, of writing this book, we all know that Paul McCartney loves Brian. John Lennon loved yeah. Brian too. I didn't know that so much, but uh, in, in the chapter about the little girl I once knew, um, we get a quote from John Lennon from when he first heard it in 1965, and it blew his mind. And he, he talked about, you know, how it's all these different sections that are that are glued together, and and how the voices say so much. And 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 he envied that Brian could stay home and not tour and focus on 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 using the studio, you know, to its maximum potential. And and of course, this is the direction that the Beatles went in soon thereafter. So. You know, I think any time you say yeah. that the Beatles are influential, you have to understand that the, the Beach Boys were influential on them. Well, that quote that you mentioned, John, I had discovered some years earlier and put it up on my blog because Little Girl I Once Knew is, for some reason, is like my favorite of all my favorites. Uh, probably the great one. What's going on. Yeah, and I, I want to talk to you about uh, David Beard's uh, involvement with you on that chapter, but... Um, yeah, it blew my mind that that John had said that, and uh, you know, I have a theory that the song really would have been a, a whole lot higher than top twenty. I think it was really destined to top ten. I don't know if it was the the, uh, the stoppage twice in the song, or if they rushed Barbara Ann too soon, or you know, there's all sorts of uh, stories and rumors. Uh, but I, I just think it's a great song. It, ironically. Uh, it never had an album. It was just a single that was kind of too late for summer days and not really uh, fit for uh, that sounds. So great song and a great, great statement uh, by John Lennon. I think uh, if it had been a bigger hit, maybe we would have uh, found it on Pet Sounds. I've always thought that it, it's an interesting lyrical response, or, or I should say Caroline No is an interesting lyrical response to The Little Girl I Once Knew, because Little Girl I Once Knew is an exuberant uh, song yeah. about a girl maturing, becoming a woman. But in yeah. Caroline No, it's played as a very sad thing. So I kind of wonder what Pet Sounds would have been like. I mean, you know, wouldn't, wouldn't it be nice? Yeah. It's hard to top. But if it had started with The Little Girl I Once Knew and ended with Caroline No, that, that would wow. have uh, told an interesting story, I think. Wow. Very cool, very cool. That's what's fun about this group, thinking about stuff like that. Um, back to your research a little bit further. I mean, there's just stuff, you know, you've done your reading of, of Beach Boy histories, but uh, even beyond that, so it wasn't just like you're stringing quotes together. Again, every chapter's different, but uh, how, just how did you pursue that, or did you have, did you already have so much 
Beach Boy history knowledge that it just kind of bubbled out? Well, I, I think I did have a lot of that. I'd been soaking it up uh, for, for many years. And I remember um, a co-worker of mine, who, uh, Steve Stanley, he's a musician here in a, in a group called Lowest of the Low, and we would talk music a lot, and uh, I would talk a lot about the Beach Boys. And, and one day he said, you know, you can't let all this go to waste. You've got to do something with this, you know. And I think that, <laughs> that, that sort of spurred me on a bit, you know. Um, so, yeah, I mean, over the years I've, I've collected all the, all the books and read up everything yeah. I can. But, but once you know you're writing a book, that then you become hypersensitive to everything. You check the media every day. And believe me, almost every day there is something about the Beach Boys that, that's, that's interesting, that, that, that tells you something about their influence or, yeah. or about their history. So, you know, in the two and a half years that, that I wrote this book i was soaking up everything revisiting everything you know listening to every podcast and and watching every documentary uh to get it going but you know the the real research in this book are the original interviews and believe me they're they're not that easy to uh, to get uh you know and there there were some misses uh, people that uh, i couldn't get that i wanted of course but i'm i'm very happy with the way it worked out because i i'm i'm truly blessed by the people that uh, participated in this book. I couldn't have asked for better. Well, and as I look at this list, it's like, it's a great list. Uh, it's fantastic. 50, 50 sides you picked well, but I, it would be interesting. You may not want to uh, identify any, but were there some, which were, maybe were there a few that you could identify that you had thought by the nature of the song itself, you wanted it to go in and it, just you just didn't click with uh, with somebody like what would well, be your bonus tracks you know so to speak well um, a bonus track would be uh, Probe and Gregory and and it's not that it didn't click I I also met him backstage in in Milwaukee and uh, yeah. and spoke to him and and the song that he wanted to talk about of all things was little pad off uh, smiley smile which yeah. is, you know pretty much as pure <laughs> as it gets and yeah. weird um and i just couldn't find a spot for that in the book so i i've yeah. met Probin subsequent to that and have apologized that i wasn't able to use his uh, insightful comments but uh that's one of the things that i found really surprising i thought the problem here would be that everybody would want to talk about the same song i thought oh my god everyone's going to want to talk about sure. good vibrations but that's not true. I mean, almost everybody wanted to talk about something different. And I'll tell you that the one song that the, I'd say the most people wanted to talk about was I Get Around. Because yeah. um, Alice Cooper, who ended up talking about In My Room, and it might surprise people to learn that he idolizes Brian so much, but uh, he said, you know, I think I Get Around is maybe my favorite single of all time. But wow. Daniel Lanois had already scooped that one in my book. And uh <laughs> Somebody else that, that I think would have liked to have talked um, about that song was John Sebastian of The Love and Spoonful, because he really? had talked about it before. Yeah, he compares I Get Around to Bach. There is an interview out there where he has made that comment. He's, he's talking about the, the song structure and the variations yeah. on theme, yeah. and he said this is very sophisticated. This, this is like Bach. And I thought that would have been interesting to include, but, but again, you know, the song had already been taken. Sure. But he spoke about Surfer Girl, and, and, and his comments were very interesting about yeah. that because, you know, at that time, 1963, he was uh, immersed in the Greenwich Village scene. He was, you know, East Coast folky. And, you know, right. they, the, the whole beach culture, hot rods, you know, didn't resonate with them. That wasn't like the new stuff that was going on. But when he heard Surfer Girl, 
he was like, wait, like there's there's something deeper to this music. Yeah. He said that that song brought a tear, you know, and showed that the Beach Boys uh, could do many more things than than just the the fun, fun, fun type of material. Well, I I lived that in real time. Uh, yeah, I'm 67 right now, so I you know as it was as it was you know, kind of like the soundtrack of my life is you know now almost a trite phrase that people use, but it really was. And for me, the uh, the strangest album helped me see, for example, I Get Around, other songs were so, not just I liked them, but they were brilliant, uh, is Stack of Tracks. Right. Uh, you know, suddenly I'm listening to stuff that's like, I know this is California Girls, but I'd never heard any of these things that were in the song before. Um, and I'm not one who understands music structure and can say this is a this and that's a that, but uh, I knew enough when I heard it to know that, uh, wow, there is just something amazing there. That's an interesting release because I, I think many people would have just regarded that as a novelty when it came out or, okay, it's a fun thing. You can put the backing track of the song on and then you could sing along to it. But, I mean, it, it was ahead of its time because you see what they've been yeah. doing with the box sets in, in future years to show what a brilliant arranger the, and producer that Brian was. And, and, and that's what Stack of Tracks gives you, like way back in, in the 1960s. It, it shows you that, you know, our car club or something like that actually has a great track to it. Well, I think Capital backed into some, you know, they were doing, uh, like the party was just meant to be like a filler album instead of a, you know, a filler tune, a filler album. And yet uh, some would say that's the first acoustic album. Um, Their concert album wasn't the first concert album ever, but really by a rock group, it might have been one of the very first ones, live sound, all that kind of stuff. Um, even a Christmas album. I, you know, the Capitol was just looking for another album that year, and it turns out these are, you know, not every song is superb, but classic albums, not just, certainly not throwaways at all. Well, again, it, you know, I mean, in a way, it was a, it was something, a gap filler while, while Brian wanted to take more time to, to do Pet Sounds, but... So for that, um, for Barbara Ann, which of course ended up being a big hit single off that album, Dean Torrance uh, spoke to me about that. Dean Torrance of Jan and Dean, who sings on that song, right. and and he said, "Look, like this was not just a throwaway in Brian's eyes. Like Brian was an artist who had a lot of kinds of albums that he wanted to do, and this was on his list, and it just was the right time to do it. You know, he wanted to do this live in the studio album. You know, and 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 it lasts, right? I mean, Barbara Ann." You know, went to I believe number two on the charts. Uh, that's that's yeah. pretty amazing. And what makes it so lasting is yes, they're they're great voices, but it it is that camaraderie in the studio. It's something so different to hear on the radio. And you know, many years later, MTV got a lot of mileage out of their Unplugged series. So I think Brian yeah. was again a little bit ahead of the curve, maybe. Well, and this makes me think. You know, what you said makes me think of just. Um, Dean's statement of uh, Brian wanting to do different kinds of albums. One of the albums that he wanted to do that really I think was the reason Smile is called Smile, even though it's more Americana than Smile, is he really wanted to do a humor album. And I was really glad that I looked again uh, just to make sure I remembered right, but uh, that I'm bugged that my old man is in there. I mean, it's both. It's a very sad song if you realize the truth in that song and what's happened. But uh, I, I'd love sometimes to do I don't know, it's not maybe worth a book, but an article or something, just on the humor of Beach Boys uh, items on so many of their albums, which people 
would say are throwaways. And when they did in the early uh, 70s, when they re- reprinted some of their albums they did in the CD, they, they cut off the humor, you know, uh, Cassius Love versus Sonny Clare, you know, whatever. Well, and again, there was, a, there was an experiment there where, you know, yeah. you're having this sort of staged fight between Brian and Mike. I mean, in retrospect, maybe it doesn't seem so funny. Maybe there was a bit of truth to that as well. I but, totally uh, agree with you. Totally agree with you. <laughs> but, you know, it, it was an interesting track that, that gave you some insight into the personalities of the group, and I think fans at the time really wanted that. They they couldn't get enough of, of They wanted to learn who these guys were because, uh, exactly. you know, you didn't have the Internet. You didn't have uh, mass media like you have it today. Yeah. So... How did you come up with your? What did you? Did you come up with a list of songs first, or a list of fifty people I want to go after? How did you? I mean, these, there's some. Obviously, many of these make total sense of of who you've got, but others, I'm glad for it, but kind of come out of left field or right field. How did you come up with an eclectic list like this? Well, yeah, I sort of roughed out. I mean, certainly I wanted to look at their chart hits, but some of them are missing, and, and some people have given me flack for that. Like, there's no chapter about Little Deuce Coop. There's no chapter about Be True yeah. to Your School, although it would have been nice if John Stamos had spoken about that one, but that didn't happen. But, um, so, you know, I wanted to cover as many of the hits as I could, but also, you know, songs that are just highly regarded today and, and, and beloved, you know, or, or tracks from albums that are, that are representative of a time like Peter Carlin, who wrote uh, catch a wave, Brian biography talks about Johnny Carson. So I'm not one of their, their best known songs, yeah. but, uh, but a highlight of that, of that great wacky album called the beach boys love you. So, you know, I, I started with the songs and, but of course then there's certain people you want to go after for sure. And then, you have to sort of marry that. Like, as you say, sometimes, you know, it might be very obvious, like if you're talking to a collaborator like Stephen Kalinich, right. talk about Little Bird, because he he wrote that song, he wrote the lyrics for that song that uh, Dennis composed. But sometimes, you know, I would try and push people in a certain direction for a certain reason. I talked to Al Cooper, of course, who started Blood, Sweat, and Tears and has done many interesting things in his career. Um, and I sort of had the idea of talking to him about Surf's Up, uh, if only because he came out with an album called Child is Father of the Man, and yeah. which is a nameless smile track. So I'm wondering that is connected to the Surf's Up. So I was wondering if, you know, uh-huh. there, there was something to that. And he talked a little bit about Surf's Up, but he, you know, through the course of the conversation, it was clear the song he really wanted to talk about was Here Today off Pet Sounds. And it makes sense. I mean, you can go and listen to some of uh, his songs. Like he had a track in the late 60s called Lucille, I believe. And you can really tell the influence. He was really influenced by the instrumental track of Here Today, the kind of moody uh, keyboard sound of it. And and he said so. And and he wanted to talk about that song. And Pet Sounds, he regards the Pet Sounds box set as the greatest release of the 20th century. So, you know, who might argue with that? If that's that's what he passionately wants to discuss, then uh, I I let people (laughs) like that go with it. Yeah, yeah. Well, and wise to do that, because when we read uh, the quotes that you've put in there, you can tell they're, 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 you know, anybody can give an opinion about any song, but uh, it's it's something that has meant something to them. So this is a very um, personal book, even though it, it's dealing with fact and history and context. Uh, so do you have enough for 50 more sl- sides of the Beach Boys, or uh, do you ever see a part two? Or <laughs> Some people have asked for it, but uh, I don't know. Uh, you know, it was a two-and-a-half-year process, and... Uh, 
Yeah. I, I may have exhausted a lot of what I want to say about the group, but I mean, you could certainly do another. Well, that's a good point. That's a you good point. Could certainly do well, it. Here's an invitation. If you ever just scribble some shorter ones or whatever, I'd love to put them on my Pray for Surf blog. People would love to read that stuff. I know you won't get any remuneration out of that, but if you got some stuff you just want to toss out there, I'd love to talk to you about it anytime. I appreciate that. And I guess, you know, the, 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 uh, Due to the timing of the book, I wasn't able to talk about their reunion album. Uh, that's why sure. God made the radio, um, which would have been great. And, and you know, I've interviewed Joe Thomas subsequent to that, but you know, this book came out just as that album came out. So uh, you know, mm. I, I had nothing nothing to to, to listen to at that yeah. point. But you know, I always thought if, if a new edition of the book came out, for sure, maybe a bonus chapter uh, talking about that album because that's pretty fascinating to to have uh, the group back together and recording an album that, that I thought was a very good album and, uh, and sold very well for them. Yeah. Well, a long time ago I had this, uh, I'm still thinking of, of your next book. Um, uh, uh, did this thing, it didn't go anywhere on, the, on my site, but I was trying to get people to identify person personalities in the Beach Boys uh, nation, if you will, history. Uh, under the title of Heroes and Villains because there are so many heroes, <laughs> uh, certainly some villains and some who are both. So uh, uh, maybe uh, I could get you to write, you know, 50 heroes and villains and uh, kind of talk about the Murray Wilsons and, um, you know, a million other, well, 49 other different uh, people who've been part of making the Beach Boy story. Yeah, Murray, uh, certainly some people had stories about uh, about Murray, and uh, yeah. some of them were from, you know, Brian's collaborators who got stiffed on the royalties, you know, and I guess uh, Mike yeah. Love has been the the most high-profile case of that and, and sued and got $5 million uh, out of that settlement, which, which he deserved because he was, you know, in, yeah. in fairness, the, the co-writer of some of their biggest songs and was not credited. But yeah. it's not just him. I mean, there, there are others as well that uh, – you know, they would say that, you know, whereas you're supposed to get a 50% royalty, Murray would give them 25%. <laughs> so he was always oh. looking for some advantage, you know. And, and, and if you look at David Marks, who was, uh, you know, the rhythm guitarist for the group in the early days, like Carl always had to have the solos. could never be David. It had to be Carl, you know. He was, he was very controlling uh-huh. just to make sure that his sons would, uh, would come out on top every time. Well, the sad thing is, uh, without him, would they have really done anything beyond just, uh, you know, the surf, surf side or whatever they call it, ballroom uh, kind of thing? Um, and yet, and definitely a hero and a villain, kind of like uh, Eugene Landy, uh, supposedly saved Brian's life twice, but in the process took him over. You know, it's, a, it's just a very interesting history. Absolutely, um, yeah. I mean, it, it seems like Brian has had these these people in his life who've been very controlling. I mean, you, you talk about Murray, you know, he, he did the dirty work that Brian didn't want to do. Like he busted down doors at Capitol Records and made demands uh, to get things that Brian wanted, whether that was to, you know, record in whatever studio he wanted to and, 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 and to have more freedom. I mean, Brian wanted it, but he, not the kind of personality that, that, that likes conflict and, and, and wants to go to war for certain things. So, you know, it was good in those early days to, to have Murray on his side to uh, to get things done, to get to get the business side of it taken care of. Yeah, for sure. Another question for you. It's not particularly spe- specifically about your book, but uh, I think a lot about what will the, the legacy of the Beach Boys be 
after all the originals have stopped touring, recording, um, and that, you know, might be for a whole a lot, long time. This. They seem to still be going strong. But, um, you know, we see so many bands from the 60s, and I know the Beach Boys are not just an average band from the 60s, but, you know, there's, uh, I think it's the Outsiders, the the Outsider band, the members don't even have the name and it's a group that never recorded and yet they're the outsiders and the other the, the outsiders are outsiders. They can't even use their name. Um, you know, there's groups that say we're the I don't know, I'm thinking of Temptations because they, they, they uh, toured with the boys this year and I don't know all their their, uh, their personnel so I'm not making a statement really just about them but, you know, we're uh, half or more of the group that's up there uh, wasn't even alive when they, you know, had their hits kind of thing. Have you thought at all about, I have no idea, with the, the licensing and, you know, Brother Records and all that kind of stuff. I have no idea what they're going to do, but have you ever thought what what would fans like to see? I mean, even if, you know, we were still around and going to concerts after that. Do you think there'll be one touring group that has the license? Have you, any, have you ever thought about that? Well, that's a very interesting question. I think first and foremost what fans want to see is all the Beach Boys get together one more time. I mean, we we had the 50th anniversary, but, I mean, there's going to come a time, you know, when when these guys are going to retire from from the road. So I hope they can get it together one last time. I think that would be huge. Um, But, yes, I've certainly thought of what, what happens beyond that. And, I mean, you know, as Mike Love currently holds the license to the name and, you know, judging by the long life that Mike Love's uh, father had, I'm sure Mike will be with us for for many years. Uh, I don't know how many of those years he's going to be touring, but uh, he'll be controlling that. Um, yeah. You know, you talk about younger generation of musicians. I mean, that's that's who's doing a lot of the heavy lifting right now. Whether you're going to see a Beach Boys show, the the great band that supports uh, Mike and and Bruce Johnston, great guys. Same with Brian. Right. Wonderful, wonderful musicians. So I wonder, I mean, if you're going to get things like the Brian Wilson experience or, yeah. you know, <laughs> truth be told, Brian is sort of, if you go to one of his shows, yeah. and I, I did see him this year, I mean, he is handing the baton. I mean, he's a lot of the vocals are handled by others, and, and certainly all the instrumentation is handled by others. I mean, people come to see him but he's not doing a lot of the heavy lifting. I mean, these guys exactly. could continue doing it. Uh, they could call it the Brian Wilson experience, I guess, and, and, and the same with the Beach Boys. So I, I definitely think there will be a future after these guys decide to, to pack it in. But I hope before we get to that point, we see one last reunion. Yeah, and they don't, uh, who, none of my business, but I mean, they don't have to tour, you know, 100 cities and do it for two years. They could uh, get together, do some recording and, Maybe do a TV show, you know, made for, and then made for TV, but, you know, recorded and just played on uh, television or a movie or something. They don't have to traipse around the world. Um, I agree. As long as uh, they're still alive and singing well, and it would be great to hear them again, see them again. I mean, sure. Brian and, and Al certainly deserve to be touring under the Beach Boys moniker. Yeah, for sure. Well, Mark, thank you so much. Thanks for this book. Any, uh, I guess I want to, at one point I wanted to ask you, what was, is your favorite in here? Uh, <laughs> My favorite song? Yeah. Yeah, I've been asked that one before, and that's a scary question. Um, I have to give you three. And okay. they, would, they would be Don't Worry Baby, 
God mm-hmm. Only Knows, and California Girls. But there are so many more after that, you know, just slightly behind yeah. those. So the list is very oh, long. Yeah. And, you know, some of my personal favorites didn't, didn't make it into this book either, like a song like Aren't You Glad or Wild Honey. Oh, or, I love that song. Or Celebrate the News, I think, is a great one too, you know. But, uh, yes, yeah. That, that's uh, to your point. Yes, there could easily be another uh, 50 sides of this group. Well, let me know when you start working on it, Oliver. <laughs> I certainly I'll pray will. I'll for you so it happens. This is not easy. Uh, you know, it's not just sit down and scribble on a piece of paper or type it out real quick. I mean, there's a lot of work to be done. You've done it well. And, uh, on behalf of uh, a lot of people, thank you. Thank you. Anything else you want to say uh, that we didn't cover that would be good? What do you find? Where can we find the book? Amazon, I suppose, 50 Sides of the Beach Boys, Mark Dillon. But is there a personal website you want people to know about? No, I, I don't have a personal website for that, but uh, Amazon uh, certainly, uh, iTunes as well. Uh, there's also an audio book, so I recorded that, which was uh, a really fun experience for me because I've never done that before. So I recorded uh, uh, the tell audio. Tell me book. about that. So, are you playing, you know, different voices by Mark Dillon, or you just read it straight? Well, I tried to get away from that because I'm certainly no voice (laughs) artist, but I couldn't help myself. Uh, I'm not going to do it for you now, but I I did do my best John Lennon for a couple of the John Lennon quotes. uh, Oh, that'd be be worth it all by itself. I I was inspired in the studio uh, to to give it a try. But I, I, I will leave you with another story that I thought was interesting. People often ask me, you know, who did you not get in the book that you wanted to get? One of the more interesting ones was Nancy Reagan. Wow. Yeah, people are a bit surprised by that. I mean, it was a bit of a left-field choice, but, um, you know, the reason why I wanted to to talk to her was, of course, because her husband was the governor of California in the 1960s. And, and of course, you know, there was the incident uh, with uh, James Watt, who I believe was uh, Reagan's secretary of state. Yeah. Uh, at the time, uh, it, it, I think it was interior. But it, it, yes, uh, the interior. That's right. And yeah. uh, you know, didn't want the Beach Boys to play the annual. Uh, um, well, it was the the May Day concert. Was that it? Or well, it was I think July it was 4th. the July Independence Day. Yeah. Yeah, the July Fourth concert at the Washington uh, Mall, and yeah. uh, you know, afterwards, both Reagan and George H. W. Bush came out and said, you know, the Beach Boys are friends of mine and, and they're welcome. And, and, and James Watt was presented with the, uh, the, the, the golden foot for having put his yeah. uh, foot in his mouth. Uh, yeah. and there, was, there was a big pro Beach Boys sentiment going on. People were like, you know, having bumper stickers honk if you like the Beach Boys and, and all this. And they played at the White House after. And I, I'd sort of forgotten that Dennis had uh, was rumored to have dated Nancy Reagan's daughter. I, I wasn't aware of that when I made the request. But but anyway, uh, she respectfully declined. Of course, she passed away recently, but um, she apparently years ago said that she would no longer do any interviews. And and although she I got to her assistant and although she was, you know, rather flattered and surprised by my request, uh, had had to respectfully decline. But that that would have been an interesting one. Well, I know we've already talked about this, but when you just said doing the interview, it, uh, it must have been. You know, you're a journalist as you're on the phone or however you're doing these interviews, but you're also a fan, kind of we're coming full circle. I'm just putting myself in your shoes. Mm-hmm. When those kinds of things happen to me, it, it's like I have this self-talk saying, I, sh- I should be paying better attention here. I'm talking to, you know, so-and-so, Bruce Johnston, or I'm talking to Brian Wilson. And, and it's like, 
a surreal experience, and I miss it because I'm thinking about it even while I'm in it. I don't know if that happened to you. It couldn't have happened to you. You did such a good job of, uh, you know, noting what they said. But did, did you have any of that kind of thing go on? Well, I mean, it certainly is a surreal experience. I mean, you spend so many years listening to to the music these guys have produced and, and reading the books, and, and the characters become bigger than life. And uh, to get them on the phone is very interesting because they're very true <laughs> to the characters that you've that you've heard about, and 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 oftentimes they're revealing character even if they're not aware that they are. You know what I mean? Uh, so you know you're paying attention to every everything they're saying and every every nuance uh, more so than they probably imagine. But uh, yeah, anybody yeah. specific comes to mind who is could a larger than life on that, or maybe you don't want to say. No, I, I I'll keep that as a as a sort of journalist okay. secret. But uh, okay, I, I but there, there's all kinds of interesting interesting details <laughs> about uh, about people that you that, that you learn, and I mean might not necessarily factor factor into the book, but uh, you know. Yeah, yeah. Maybe maybe when the phone call is over, I could enlighten you on some of those. I would love to. Yeah, I I obviously didn't uh, do what you've done, but somehow I managed to get this is back in uh, 1960. Seven when Heroes and Villains was about to come out. Right. Were there rumors about him? And somehow I'm from Chicago. I'm visiting relatives in California. I hopped on a bus and said, I'm going to go find the Beach Boys. And somehow I found them in their office and got on a payphone and somehow got Bruce on the line. I have no idea how I did that because <laughs> you don't just pick up the phone. And he said, Oh, he was very polite. And uh, I'm kind of reliving what you probably had in 50 of these kind of conversations, my one one conversation like that. But what was very interesting is he played the uh, what is rumored to be the seven-minute version of Heroes and Villains. I'm listening, saying, I'm not paying attention to this. Instead, I'm just amazed that I'm on the phone with Bruce Johnston. And, you know, suddenly it's over and goodbye, and it was over. But uh, it, it is it is fun to uh Sorry, are you saying that, that he played the seven-minute version for you? Yeah, he did over the phone. I'm on this payphone. That is in the amazing. Middle of what? Yeah, it was, and that was my problem. I'm sitting standing there saying, "This is amazing," because you know, I I was not an insider. I was a, a high school first year college kid, whatever it was when the Bills came out, and uh, I'm listening to it, having heard the rumors that he, you know, Smile was. It wasn't well known yet that Smile had had been stopped, and you know, all the stuff we know now. So it's just. Heroes and Villains is next. I'm listening to the seven-minute version. Me and five other people know this, you know, and uh, but I let it skip by. My brain doesn't remember what it's out like. Well, yeah, when, when you know, as a journalist, you know, you're going to get a lot of the stuff you already knew, but when you get a little nugget that you didn't yeah. know, it's always very exciting. Like just one small example is talking to Al Cooper. And, and and he was one of these guys that hung out with Brian in 1966. And, you know, he said he went to Brian's house and Brian played him Pet Sounds before it had come out, you know. And, uh, oh, yeah. You know, he and then and then if there was a certain part of the song that Brian was particularly proud of, he'd, he'd pick up the the needle and he'd put it down again, replay <laughs> that, that part. And, and I think he may have played the whole thing twice, you know. And, uh, yeah. I mean, it, it's it's an experience that stayed with Al Cooper you know, for for fifty years, sure. and uh, he still regards Pet Sounds as, as as the greatest thing. So, so yeah, hearing these these little nuggets, these little uh, recollections, uh, is priceless. Uh, I won't keep going on this, but I'll let you go in a minute. But same kind of experience I had when I was doing a podcast with Fred Vale, uh, the guy who you know got them going in Sacramento, and his voice introduced right. the concert album. Um, 
and apparently he had a pet sounds experience with Brian. He said, yeah, we we're sitting in the studio, lights out, sitting on the floor. And I, maybe that was just me imagining sitting on the floor, but um, playing I think there was a lot of floor and, sitting in those days. Yeah. And, uh, you know, what a, he didn't use the word surreal, but what a surreal experience that was for him. Because, you know, he, he was in their lives at that point. So he, he knew what, you know, what was coming down. But, uh, well, it, it's yeah, interesting it's because, yeah, I mean, sometimes people think of these moments as, as mythical, and, and to some people they are, to outsiders they are as well. But then when you talk sometimes to the people who are in the middle of it, it, it was just another day at the office. You know, I, I spoke to Danny Hutton, who was Brian's very good friend, yeah. and, you know, who right. was there in the studio for uh, for a lot of this. And, and he said, you know, he didn't think when Smile was happening that this was going to be – this whole mythical thing that people yeah. would be talking about so many years later to him, it was, it was the next beach boys album. Like Brian was just keeping up that momentum that, that he had started, you know, a few years earlier and, and, and mm. sure, like things were getting a little bit weirder, but you know, it was, uh, it was the next beach boys album and, and, and pet sounds came about that way too. I mean, certainly Brian had ambitions for it, but you know, he's kind of like, well, I got to do my next album. I got to find myself a, a collaborator. And he gives uh, Tony Asher a call out of the blue, yeah. you know? Wow. And today, yeah. you know, we can't stop talking about it. Yeah, amazing stuff. Well, Mark, thanks. This has been fun. Um, maybe we can have another time on the phone where we'll talk about 50 sides that aren't written, but you would have, or something like that. It'd be fun to just... I'd be happy to do it. More on that. That'd be yeah, great. That'd be great. All right. Well, thanks. Hope some people uh, who haven't read it and haven't picked it up, we'll do that. Uh, it's a great book, a lot of fun. I'm going back through it and uh, enjoying it a lot. Thanks again. Pray for Thanks so much, Bill. Blog.com. Thanks, everybody. Uh, are you still there? Still there, Phil. Okay. Um, it was supposed to stop the recording, and it didn't. I hope that doesn't mean... We didn't have it. It did say we had it. Well, you know what? Um, let me uh, hang up and ask you to call back in in one minute. Would you do that? Sure can. Thank you.